If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Revelation chapter 6. We have been preaching uh, through here. We didn't really think about doing that, but we were preaching on the overcomers, and we preached on seven-time overcomers through chapters 2 and 3. And then the Lord moved us to chapter 4 and chapter 5, and we finished up last week in chapter 5. And this morning, we're going to move into chapter 6. We won't go very far because I want to... I pose a question and kind of give the answer at the same time here in Revelation chapter 6 and on through. We're beginning the tribulation period here. Uh, times are now different and they will be different forever upon this earth. The question is that I like to pose and is this, is if this is the case, that tribulation period will begin during this passage, what? And how does it come together? I mean, I, I know that the rapture will take place, the tribulation will begin immediately, but how does the world transition into that? How, how does this Antichrist come on the scene, begin to take over, and the world is just coming out of a, a rapture? And how's all that work, and, and how can we see it working? And you say, well, how does that really affect me, Brother Larry? I'm going to be raptured in chapter 4, and chapter 5, we see Jesus the Lord. In chapter, uh, chapter 4, we see Jesus the Lord. In chapter 5, we see Jesus the Lamb. And now, in chapter 6, we see Jesus the Lion. Yeah. And so, I'm in heaven, and my viewpoint of tribulation is down. It's heaven down on earth. So why, why, why do you want me to even worry about that, man? I'm going to be in a heaven looking down upon tribulation because I want you to know that that hasn't happened yet. And we haven't even had the rapture yet. And yet we find ourselves in a church age, a church of age of grace, and how are we as Christians, the church, are supposed to act how are we going to handle all the change that's about to take place? How are we handling the change now? And do we see, actually before our eyes, the transition of this Antichrist and one world government going to take place here in chapter 6 and on? And so how do we move forward? How do we raise our children? How do we live our lives? What does our church do? Do we say that, man, the rapture is going to happen here soon? Let's just go find us a hill. Let's go find us a rock. Let's go find us a cave and dig in and just stay there until we hear the trumpet. Oh, we know that, that it's coming, but what are we to do? And so I'm going to try to bring all that together. We're going to read in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, but we're going to go back and we're going to try to bring up all the events that led us up to chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, so that we can be well prepared and ready so when things do take place, we're not ignorant of it. Amen? So let's stand to our feet in honor of God's Word and begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 6. And I want to preach a message this morning, Jesus, the last one standing. We see that in verse 1. And I saw when he, the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer father we come to you in jesus name this morning god we're grateful that you allow us to come back to the house of god god we're thankful this morning for the singing that we've heard thank you for the dear darling family god that you have used and you have used for many years now to serve you god the choice servants this morning god you've allowed us to be part of and i ask you to bless them dear god in their endeavors God, I pray that you'd get them to the place you'd have them to go. God, I pray, Lord, it'd be quickly. It'd be uh, easy, Lord, and all things would be done uh, decently in order as God had ordered it. We pray now, Lord, for our service this morning that you'd open our eyes, our hearts. I pray if there's anybody lost this morning, they might be saved. Pray, Father, any Christian this morning, God, with any doubts of God or doubts of the Word of God, may it be cleared up and cleaned up this morning. I ask you to touch the sick and the ill, those that are diseased and suffering. God, I pray you'll bring relief into their lives. Father, I ask you now, Lord, to send revival, and may it begin right here with me this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So we 
see that this tribulation period in chapter 6 is beginning. There's some things, though, that has led up to this tribulation period. It just didn't happen, and it just doesn't happen. There's some things that has to take place prior to the tribulation period. I want you to notice three things this morning. I want you to notice the translation. I want you to notice the transition, and then we'll get to the tribulation. The first is the translation this morning. And so I want you to know that John was asked by Jesus or commanded by Jesus to write a book. Let's look at it in chapter 1 and verse 11. Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book. And he says to write in a book the very things that we read. The chapters 2, the chapters 3, the chapter 1, the chapter 4, the chapter 5, the chapter 6, and so on and so forth. And so what we have read, what we have studied, and what we've looked at, was already been told by Jesus to write this in a book. It's telling us this morning that whatever is written in the book is written. It's not going to be added to. It's not going to be subtracted from. It is what it is, and all things will be according to the book, according to what Jesus says that, John, you are to write. And then he says, send it to the churches. We see that in verse 11. Send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. And so we find this book, is a, the contents is settled. In other words, there's nothing at all going to change one way, one iota. Amen? Uh, there is what it says, the Word of God is settled in heaven. The Word of God is settled here as well. Matter of fact, it's inspired by Jesus. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 It is preserved by Jesus Psalms 12.7 and 8 It is published by Jesus in Psalms 68.11 We find that here in the scripture Jesus inspired it Jesus preserved it and Jesus published it He said send it to the churches That's exactly how we got our Bible this morning The King James Version Bible is where we look upon we look about and we also love this morning. Not only is the book and its content settled, but the book is sealed. In chapter 5 and in verse 1, we have read, And I saw the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And in this sealing of the book, it means that there's no one uh, is going to be able to open it up. No one's going to be able to read it. No one's going to be able to get into it. No one's going to be able to change it, amen? And we find out who that is uh, there in this chapter 5. We know it's Jesus. So Jesus, in giving the book and talked to the book and inspired the book, preserved the book and published the book, he said there's going to be three divisions in the book. Chapter 1, verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. We find in the division of these books, chapter 1, John sees Jesus. My, what a sight that was. My, what a scene that was. We preached on that when I re-preach it this morning. But he sees Jesus in chapter 1. Chapters 2 and chapters 3, we find that John schedules the age of the church. We find that John uh, is telling us this is going to be the churches of his day. And it was the churches of his day. It was seven literal churches of his day there in Asia. But these churches will give us an understanding from the beginning of the church age until the end of the church age. We find that the church age began in 30 A.D. It lasted for 100 years under Ephesus. The church of Ephesus from 100 A.D. to 312 A.D. was the church age in Smyrna. In the chapter and verses, I mean, the year 312 to 606, we find the church in Pergamos. In 606 to 1520, we find the church in Thyatira. In 1520 to 1750, we find the church in Sardis. And in 1750 to the 1900s, unto the rapture, we find the church of Philadelphia. And from 1900 to the tribulation period, we find the church of the Laodiceans. Now, the church of Laodiceans is the church of the people. It is the church that's morning of the world. Uh, we find that in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 and 22. Now, the church of the people is the last church mentioned. It's the last 
age in the last days. That is the very end of what we call the age of grace. And that happens in chapter 3, in the end of chapter 3. Now I want you to notice the translation of the last church in the last age of the age of grace. This is the translation of that. Number one, there is no presence of Jesus in the last church of the last age in the last day. You say, how do you know that? Verse 20 of chapter 3. The Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and I will sup with him and he with me. In other words, Jesus is absent in the church of the last day. The church in the days in which we live this morning. Now what are you saying, Brother Larry? I'm saying that by and large, as the whole of the church today, Jesus is absent. Now I know that there's churches out there that have Jesus present. And I know that there's members of churches who may not have Jesus in their church, but they have Jesus in them. Amen? And so there is a remnant. There is a certain group. There is a small group. There's a few, the Bible says, of the Philadelphian church. But as in large, as the church at whole, as the world would look upon the church today, the church most likely and is without Christ. There's no presence of Christ in it. In other words, Christ is not in their preaching. Christ is not in their singing. Christ is not in their worshiping. Christ is not in their witnessing. Christ is not in their working. Christ is not in the church, not on the church not around the church, not for the church, and not in the church. The church, as saved, is Christless. Amen. And we find a lot of churches among a lot of people in a lot of the world today where Jesus Christ is not there. Now I'm trying to talk about the translation. What's this translate to? That there's no presence of Jesus in the last age of the last church. Not is he absent, but he's abstract. In other words, what I mean by abstract that this church, that's absence of Jesus in His presence, is they have this Jesus on their mind. They have this Jesus in their thoughts. They have this Jesus in their hearts. They have this Jesus uh, about their ways and about their works. Uh, but they also have Jesus with their motions and with their feelings. But they don't have the presence of Jesus. They're thinking. They're, they're hoping. It's in their hearts, emotions, and feeling. And that's why churches today are full of feelings and emotions. That's why singing is mostly contemporary. That's why preaching is mostly contemporary. That's why we find today that you'll find a church that's, that's coming out of the seams and busting out of the seams is a church that's full of flesh and full of carnality and full of what people want, friend, because Jesus is not there. We find this morning there's no presence of Jesus. He's absent. He's abstract. Now, when you talk to them, you say, they say, do you love Jesus? They'll say, yeah, I love Jesus. But in their worship, Jesus don't show up. They say, oh, do you follow Jesus? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Uh, but in their life, you don't see them. That's abstract. Amen. Churches are full to that of those people. Pastors behind the pulpits today are those people. The singing and the worshiping and the working today is Christless. It's all about man and their ability and all their capabilities and, and all the businesses and organization that's within the church today and all the hierarchies and the presidents and vice presidents and secretaries. It's all the organization. It's like a business now. It's not the organism that Jesus' body is. We find not only is that, but in their church, in the church where Jesus is not present, man is worshipped. The preacher is worshipped. The song leaders are worshipped. The missionaries are worshipped. Oh, people of days gone by are worshipped. The Spurgeon and Moody and Tory and all the rest are worshipped. And everything that's talked about is quotes from them. Everything that's even spoken of is the old pastor or even the pastor now. And man is worshipped. It's how good man can become. It's how good man can be. It's their best life today. It's about man. It's about when, when even when they get saved or so-called get saved, the glory goes to man. I used to be a pot user. I used to be an old drunk. I was an abuser. And look at me now. I got saved and Jesus is in my heart and, and I'm going to live a new 
life, friend. And friend, Jesus don't get no glory. Jesus don't get no honor. Jesus not lifted up. It's all about the old sinner. It's all about what the sinner done. It's about what the sinner's going to do. Amen. I'm just telling you, friend, in the church in the last day, in the church age, will be a church that worships man. Because Jesus is not there to be worshipped. But not only do they worship man, but the church of the last days, friend, will be a church that worships ideas. Ideas. They have all these ideas. They got all this vision. They got all of these thoughts. Uh, they got all, it's not Bible. It's not according to the scripture. It's not under the influence of the Holy Ghost of God. It's all about man and his ideas and his thought process and how can we build a church bigger? How can we go further? How can we get more money in? How can we have bigger buildings? How can we have larger grounds? How can we take the people and bring them in more at a time? Thousands and thousands. It's all ideas. You can get them off of Google. How to grow your business. You'll be amazed how many people that I get on my phone spam and you answer the spam and they say, do you want to grow your business or your church? Ideas. We know who grows the church. Jesus grows the church. We know that this morning who the church belongs to, it belongs to Jesus, amen. And we know when Jesus wants to add to the church, he'll add to the church. We are just people today that are just being one who will water, who will give the seed, and God will give the increase. We ain't got no ideas. He got the, all the ideas. But friend, church today, worship. They worship their ideas. The devil is worshiped in these churches. The devil is honored. The devil is glorified. The devil is magnified. It's the devil this morning who will find himself in most Baptist churches and most churches this morning. The devil will come in and he'll feel welcome. He'll feel as if he's a friend. He'll feel as if, if somebody really cares for him. They'll let them sit on their pew. They'll let them come in and sing a song. They'll let them preach a message. They'll allow the devil, friend, to take up the offering. They'll allow the devil, friend, to do whatever he wants to do. You're welcome, dear Satan. Come on in. That's the church this morning, as in large. So they'll worship man. They'll worship the devil. And finally, we find here, thirdly, this morning, that they'll worship idols. Idols. Majority of churches worship their children. Majority of churches worship their spouses. The majority of churches worship their buildings. They worship their pews. They worship their pastor. They worship the things they have in their home, the money in their pocket, in the 401k. Majority of churches today are worshiping idols. Can I say, number one, that the church in the last day of the last age, the church of the Laodiceans today, the people's church, the people who's in charge and rule and reign, is the church today that we see that there's no Christ, no presence of Christ. Number two, there's no presence of Christ. There's no power of Christ. Friend, when there's no presence, there's no power. And we find that in this chapter 3 in verse 15. He says, I know thou works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I would spew thee out of my mouth. So without the presence of verse 20, there can't be any power within the church. And because there's no power, it's because they're lukewarm. Amen. They're sickening and they're nauseating. Hey, friend, that's what happens this morning when the presence of God is not in the sermon, when the presence of God is not in the man preaching, when the presence of God is not in the singing or the singer, when the presence of God is not in the teacher or the teaching, when the presence of God is not in the worship worshiping, there's no power, and the best you can be is lukewarm. That's the height. That's the greatest you can become. That's the only thing that you can become. It's just lukewarm, and Jesus says that's nauseating and sickening to me. So the majority of churches in the last age will be a church of lukewarmness because there's no power of Christ there. Number two, they are lethargic. Verse 17, lethargic. The Bible says uh, there, says, knowest not, the middle of that verse, and knowest not 
that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They don't even know. They're lethargic. What lethargic means? Well, it means this morning they're inactive, they're lifeless, and they're lazy. See, they thought they were something when Jesus said, you don't even know what you are. And that is the majority of the church this day in which we live. They don't know who they are. They're inactive, they're lazy, they're lifeless. Friend, you talk to them, they say they're one thing and Jesus says they're another. Friend, they act like if they know somebody when they don't really know nothing, amen. And you talk to the average Baptist, you talk to the average churchgoer this morning. They ain't got no idea what the Word of God says. They ain't got no idea how to live for Christ. They ain't got no idea what Jesus is going to do next. They ain't got no idea what's on the horizon. Why? They're lethargic. They're lukewarm. Now, can I say here thirdly, and I'm moving on because i got to move on. i got like 15 pages, Brother Key. Not only is they lukewarm and lethargic, but they're laborious. They're laborious. They're busy bees. The church of the day is busy. Hey, look on any calendar of a church. They got something going on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday's got the least thing going on because they ain't got Christ nor power. But friend, all the other days, it's on. Now, they do have some things between churches. They have some things after churches. They got some things before churches. Oh, but the emphasis of the church of this day is not 11 o'clock because 6 o'clock they don't have service. And it's not, it's not 7 o'clock on Wednesday because that's just, a, that's just usually a youth night or usually a, a, some kind of meeting between the men or sometimes it's a ladies' gathering or sometimes it's just some kind of meal they got. Amen? All I'm saying this morning is this, is they're laborious, and that is they're always laboring. In verse uh, 17 it says this, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, uh, they sayest. They're just laboring all the time. I'm rich. I have no need of nothing. I'm increased with goods. Look what we're doing. Hey, man, we, we got things going on. We got our youth busy. We got our parents busy. We got the, we got the married couples busy. Uh, we've got the old people busy. Uh, we've got the, we got the things over here busy. We got mission trips over here. Uh, we got singing groups over here. Uh, we've got uh, working people over here. We're building houses. We're painting houses. We're cutting grass. We're doing a lot of things. Amen. And they're powerless and they're Christless. Amen, Brother Larry. I know it's not very popular, but it is sure is true. Can I say here thirdly, now is there no presence of Jesus and no power of Jesus, but there's no people of Jesus. Verse 18, the Bible says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. What Jesus is saying to these people, you're faithless. There's no rich about you at all. All that you have is all that you got, and I didn't give you any of it. For if there's anything that you do need to get, and that's that gold that I have furnished, I will furnish, and that's faith. And so, Fred, they're poor as Job on spiritual things. They have no clue, no idea about Jesus and his power and his glory. And, friend, yet they say they're rich, and Jesus says, you're faithless. You're not rich. Number two, you're clothless. In other words, you're not righteous. He says in verse 18, white, white raiment, and thou mayest be clothed. You think you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You think you're clothed with the righteousness of God. Hey, Fred, you are naked as a jaybird. Amen. You ain't got anything on. Hey, Fred, you are one today that has no idea, no clue what's going on. Uh, you are clothless. Amen. And the only thing you've got is your robes of flesh and your robes of wickedness and your robes of rottenness. And all you have upon you is dirt. And, and it's been, you look upon you and you just, your stomach just turns because, Fred, you look at him and feel sorry for him. This naked, not righteous, not rich. And then thirdly, we see here in this verse here, he looks at him and says, all you have is blindness. You're not redeemed. They're not redeemed. They know not Christ. And how do you say that, Brother Larry? Because you look in the verse 19. Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. 
and he did neither in the last church. In the church of Laodiceans, you see no rebuke. You see no chastening. Not any. And if he loved them, matter of fact, he uses the word phileo love there, not agape love. That's another message. But in the fact of he said, as, as I love, I chase and rebuke. He did neither of that church. And it's telling that church this. He says, but I tell you what you need to do. You need to be zealous. That means be serious. And then he says you need to repent. That means get saved. And so the church of the Laodiceans of the last day, of the last age, is a church that's Christless, a church that's powerless, and a church that's peopleless. And that's where we're living. Now how easy is it for the tribulation to begin with that condition of the church? Pretty simple, right? I mean, it might be a smooth move. This is the translation. The church today is worldly. The church today is fleshly, and the church today is sickly. Now, we find that to be so. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the translation in the church. Timothy describes the church of this day. You say, what does is, what is the translation of Laodicean mean? Well, this is what it means. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they shall not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. This is the church of the Laodiceans in the church age of the last day. What is it, brother? Well, number one, they're governed by their lust. It says there in that verse, he says, uh, verse 3, and uh, it says, For the time will come when they shall endure uh, sound doctrine, but after their own lust. So they're governed by their lust. They're governed not by the Lord. They're not governed by the truth. They're not governed by the facts. They're governed by the lust and what they will want and what they will desire and what they will demand and what they will command will be purely lust. That's what the last days, that's the translation of Laodicean in chapter 3. That is what we see today in the days of the last days of the age of grace is a church that's governed by lust. That's why when they come to little old church like this and we just sing the little old hymns, that's boring. And when they come to church like this and they hear a preacher like me, they don't want none of that. They want anybody to come out of that pulpit. They don't want anybody to raise their voice. They don't want anybody to say anything. They want everybody just to calm down and take it easy and chill out. They don't want to come to a church that don't have no band up here, don't have, a, don't have no drums, and, and never will have any drums, and got lights and smoke, and, and got all the background, and, the, and they got long hair, and they're up there singing as if there's some rock band, or some country western, or RB, or some kind of nonsense like that. They call it Christian, friend, but it's ungodly out of hell this morning. All I'm saying is this, is the church of the Laodiceans, the translation of that in the church, is the church is governed by lust. It's all about that. Number two, I notice the church is not only governed by lust, but the church is driven by passions. Not by the Savior. By passions. That lust there means passions today, and it's what their passion is. If they come in one Sunday and their passion is not for the, not for the preacher, they get rid of the preacher. If they come in as the passion is no longer on the hymns, they want to start singing these contemporary, they'll just get rid of the hymns. The passion is that they don't want the King James Version Bible any longer, they'll get rid of the Bible. The passion is that they don't want to do this and do that, then they'll do what they want to do because they're driven by passion. You see, that's what our world is made up of. Most marriages this morning are based upon and driven on passion. It was passion at the beginning. It's passion now, and it's going to be passion at the end. And friend, when the passions change, the love change. I used to love you. I don't love you no more. I, I'm not in love with you anymore. I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Hey, that's a bunch of garbage. That's a bunch of nonsense. 
passions. We find our whole lives today built upon passions. And that's a church of this day is driven by passions. It's governed by lust. Thirdly, it is a place of controlled by emotions and not God. It's emotional. If I can't come to the church and cry, I'm not going to that church. If I can't go to that church and laugh, if I can't go to that church and feel good, if I can't go to that church and, and just feel like that I'm 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 okay person, every time I come to this church here, I feel like I'm a sorry, no good, low down piece of trash, the, the armpit of America. If you leave out of there this morning like that, I say, amen, glory to God. Get it right with God. You won't feel like that. Don't blame that on me. Blame that on you. How you feel when you leave is your problem, not mine. You ought to see how I feel when I leave. I feel the same way. Sorry, no good, low down piece of trash. I'm so grateful for Jesus and his grace and his mercy that he would love somebody like me and give me eternal life and let me serve him and love him and be part of his program this morning and this day at this time at this church amongst these people here. I'd say to you, Fred, if I can get that every day, I would get it every day. God put me in my place. Straighten me out. Show me my sin. Show me my error. Make me get right with you. Amen. Throw me on my knees. Make my head hurt. Do whatever you want to do. Get me right with you this morning. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but friend, when you are controlled by emotions, those things won't work. Oh, that's the translation in the church. And Jesus is not there. If he was there, they would turn away from him because look what it says. The Bible says in that verse 3 of verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. If Jesus was there in the church of Laodiceans, they would have turned away. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come to the Father but by me. And friend, when the truth is not what you want and you want a teacher instead of a preacher and you want some fable instead of some real word of God this morning, if Jesus ever does show up, you'll turn away. Amen. That's why when a preacher goes into one of these churches and amongst one of these people and he's a real true born again uh, filled with the Spirit of God preacher and he's given them the truth of God, they will run him on. Kick him out. Get out of our country. Friend, they're going to turn him away. Can I say here, secondly, not only is a translation in the church, but I know there's a translation in the culture of the church of Laodiceans. Turn your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So goes the church. So goes the culture. I hate to say this, dear church, but our culture... It's where our church is at. Hate to say this, but our church is where the Christians are at. You want to look at our culture and say, oh, how awful, how bad, how horrible, how disgusting that it is. I'm telling you, it's a shame. Well, look at the majority of Christian lives. Look at the church. And there you find the culture. And so you find a church that we're speaking of this morning that's powerless and Christless and it's a church friend that has no idea what is going on and what he's doing and then you find a culture that's building upon that. Look at this culture here in chapter 3. The Bible says this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now we're talking about culture in the last days is the church of Laodiceans. For men shall be lovers of their own selves covetous Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. Oh, I say to you, friend, that's our culture. That's the culture that you and I live in. And the reason why our culture is that away is because of the church. And the church of Laodicea has brought forth a Christless and powerless church. And so now the culture has grew. 
The Bible says that when the truth in the church of today, they will turn away. But the Bible says that you and I, that's the true church today, from the culture, will turn away from the culture. Does it not say that way? From such turn away? And we're told the true born-again believers this morning to turn away from the culture that has been built upon the church. I'm trying to get us to Revelation 6. How did we get there? Well, we find the conditions now for the Antichrist is ripe. In other words, today, if the rapture takes place and the tribulation begins, it won't be a big stir. It'll be a smooth move. It'll be an easy transition, right? The church is weak. The church is anemic. The church is worldly. The church is fleshly. It's not really that big of a deal now in the world's eyes. The culture's done turned up. The culture's great. The culture's big. Lovers of self, more lovers, and on and on and on and on. And the church hasn't turned away from it. The church just brings it in their home, brings it in their house, brings it into the church, brings it into their lives. That's all mixed up. It's all together. So when the Antichrist comes on the scene, it's not going to be that big of a deal because we're already kind of in that mindset. We're kind of already headed that way because the church and the culture has been written in the book that Jesus told John to write. And can I say this, that whatever John did write and we're reading it, it will be exactly how he said it would be. For example, he said that in the last days, Jesus said in his book, in the last days, that the church of the Laodiceans will be the church of the people. That's what he said. That's what happened. Chapter 4, there's a rapture taking place. It will happen just like he said it will happen. And then chapter five and chapter or chapter four and chapter five is a heaven scene. And then chapter six starts the tribulation period. You can mark it down. Jesus already wrote that before it ever happened. And it's going to happen just like he said it was going to happen. And all I can say to you, dear Christian friend or dear friend, is get ready. All I can say to you, friend, is be ready. Are you ready? Because the transition may just happen soon. That was the translation. Let me get on to the transition now. I'm so glad we got all day. Some of y'all still got your stuff cooking, so there's no big rush. Some of y'all still got it kind of warming up, so there's no big hurry. And so we're going to take it easy this morning. We're not going to worry about much of anything except just those tamales. The transition goes like this this morning. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Revelation After this, he says, the Bible says in verse 1, after this, the question is, after what? Well, after chapter 3. After the last age of the last church at the end of the day. After this. And so we find after this is exactly what is going to take place. And so what's going to happen after this? Well, what's going to happen after this, uh, according to the scripture is, is there's going to be a rapture. Amen. He says, as I looked, behold, a door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, it were, a trumpet talking with me, and which said, come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. In order for John to get things that's going to happen hereafter, uh, John had to get up there. And in order for things to take place down here, like the tribulation play, we're going to have to get up there. Amen. And so it ain't going to happen while we're still here. We're going to have to get there. And when it gets there, then it's going to happen there. So he says, after this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. After this, that means that we're going to go on up in there. After the last church, after the last age, after the last day, after the last hour, after the last minute, after the last second, after the last say. We'll meet him in the air. Now, now we can move forward. Not only after this, but after that. After that, what do you mean after that? He says, come up hither. The rapture of the overcomers. The rapture of the champions. The rapture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The The church of the Lord Jesus Christ will be transitioned. 
The culture has already been transitioned. And the church of the Laodiceans have been transitioned. So the church today is transitioned for the Antichrist. The culture is transitioned for the Antichrist. And then the overcomers are going to be taken up. Transitioned. So we find when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he's going to find that the world has already been in a place of a culture as this. Now listen to this. This is what's taught, this is what's believed, and this is what's accepted in our culture. Evolution. Now what is evolution? There is no real evidence that God exists. So that's already in our schools, in our elementary, our homes, our businesses. Situation ethics. I'm talking about our culture now. Man is the final authority for his own action. There are no absolutes. That is what we're told. That is what we are, are taught, and that's what's given to our children and adults. Situation ethics. Number three, moral freedom. Moral freedom means all exposed to all viewpoints, all seen as methods of self-expression. In other words, what our country, our education system, our, 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 it seems like our world is saying that all viewpoints are open at all ages. It don't matter if you got a three or four or five-year-old boy or girl. We can talk to them about sexual things. It don't matter how old they are. It don't matter how young they are. It don't matter what they're doing or not they're doing. They should have all viewpoints presented to them. And they all should have the freedom to do whatever they want with that viewpoint. And they should have that right to make a decision for themselves. Moral freedom. You don't think this is real? You look it up, friend. Get out of the doghouse, get out of the sand pit, and start getting some information so you'll know exactly what culture we're in today. Self-sufficiency. Man is not accountable to any other higher power. That's what we believe. That's his culture today. I'm not responsible or accountable to anybody but me because I am the God of myself. Sexual permissiveness. All forms of sexual expression acceptable as taught in schools and for everyone at any time at all things. It don't matter what sex it is. It could be with an animal. It could be with a child. It could be with an adult. It could be of the same sex. It could be with a tree, a rock. It don't matter. That's okay. That's right. That's your freedom. Sexual permissiveness. Don't tell me that ain't right. I mean, you hear that here all the other day that the lady got married to a dog. I heard the other day also that there was a tree in this lady's house, in this lady's yard that she was got into matrimony with. A tree. Anyway. Anti-religious bias. Religions, religion is harmful, meaningless, and irrelevant to the survival or fulfillment of the human race. That's what they're told. Socialism, government ownership and control economy, property, and business. One world government, global citizenship. Death education, no life beyond the grave, they say. Once you die, you're done, it's over, you're clean and you're clear. Also, in this death education, there's three acceptable ways to terminate life, they say. First one is euthanasia. Those that are sick, those that are crippled, those that are old, those that are no, no more to society, let's just euthanize them. And then the second way of death education is suicide. For young people, old people, young, uh, newer people, doesn't matter. Suicide is a way out now these days. It's a suicide is at an alarming rate. But then thirdly, abortion. Abortion is another way on death education. Human destiny, take control of your own life and power to achieve the world or the dreams of your world. That's what's being taught. Told. Now, can I say to you, this is a, this is a creed out of the, Uma, the, the Humanist Manifesto from 1933 that was revised in 1973 
This is being taught in our schools, being taught in our businesses, and being taught in our churches, and being taught in our homes. So now the smooth, easy, ready transfer to the Antichrist is seeable. Right? It's doable. Because we are primed and prepped. The church is weak and anemic. The culture is great and authoritative. And so when it comes to this place of chapter 6, verse 1, it's going to be just perfect. Because it's going to be in such a mess that somebody called the Antichrist is going to have everybody's ear. So after this, after that, and after then, what happens? Well, when the rapture happens, chapter 4, verse 1, there will be no redeemed people on the earth. Do you know that? Those who hate us now because we're saved, they won't have to worry about that no more. There's nobody after the rapture, if the rapture would happen today, say right now, it's, a, it's at 12, 12.07. I got eight minutes left to preach. 12.07, if the rapture would happen, 1208, there'd be no redeemed people on this earth. Have we thought about that yet? Think about that for just a minute. Right now we live on earth and there's redeemed people. Those are followers of Christ. Those are disciples of Christ. Those are believers of Christ. And those believers and those followers have influence. And they have impacts. And they assist. And they address and they help in all that goes on in all the world. Right? right? Now, there's no redeemed people. Can you imagine what this world will become just with that fact? There's nobody praying. Nobody studying the Bible. Nobody looking to Jesus. Nobody at all who has a desire or has, a, has any type of heart for God. Nobody. You can't find the influence anywhere. You can't find them at church, at work, at home. You can't find them in businesses. They're gone. Everybody now is lost. Everybody is unredeemed. Everybody is full of the flesh. Can you imagine? Number two, not only is there no redeemed people, but there's no restraining power. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 speaks of a power. I believe it's the Holy Ghost of God. It's now no longer restraining. Right now, the Holy Ghost of God is restraining us, restraining governments, restraining businesses, restraining homes, restraining principalities and powers and devils and demons, restraining, restraining. But when the rapture happens, there's no restraining power. Man, all of hell, all of demons, all of evil, all of government, all of anyone and everyone who knows not God is now in authority is now moving across with impact and moving with influence. And they're doing what their old flesh wants to do. The Spirit of God has no restraining power. And no governments have any kind of restraining power. And everybody in every place and all places are just doing what the flesh, doing what their nature wants them to do. No redeemed, no restraining power. Have you thought about this? When the rapture takes place. Can you just imagine? No redeemed and no restraining. And then thirdly, there will be no ready positions. Religion wasn't ready for this. If the rapture happens right now, you think the religion's ready? You're kidding me. They're not ready. Do you think if the rapture would happen right now, governments are ready? No. There's no ready position. If it happens today, do you think businesses are ready for this? You think they put in their yearly budget? If the rapture takes place, this is what we're going to do. 
Do you think homes today and all the world's ready? Do you think people's ready? So if the rapture happens this day, there's no redeemed people. There's no restraining power. There's no ready position. And so when the Antichrist stands up in chapter 6, it's going to be a saving grace. It's going to be a world saying, please. <laughs> I mean, everybody's doing which, whatever they want to do. It's, it's crazy. We're missing people. There's things that go on. Nothing's being picked up. Everything's in hooray. Everything's chaos. Everything's pathetic. What's going on? We have no idea. And the whole world is churning. Am I right? I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to get to chapter 6 yet. But we find chaos and fear and disruption and panic and anger. The transition from the earth to heaven. Jesus is Lord sitting on the throne. In chapter 5, Jesus is the Lamb standing on the throne. And Jesus is the Lion strong on the throne. And then chapter 6, verse 1, we find, and I'm just going to say this, the book is opened. The tribulation period has begun. And I just try to help you how to get there. It's not going to be as shocking as you think. It's not going to be as aware as you think. It's going to be simple. You know why? Because Jesus wrote the book. And he has made a smooth transition from the church of Laodicean being absent of him to the culture building on that church to coming into where we are now. And we see here, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1. I can't give you any of this here, but I, I want to give you this before I leave or before we leave. Has anybody heard of the Agenda 2030? Agenda 2030. Have you heard it? Raise your hand if you heard of 20, Agenda 2030. Okay. Do you not know that means in 2030, that's the date, 2030, 193 nations have signed a contract that there are 17 goals and 169 targets for all these 193 nations. It's now going to bring this world in 2030 into this agenda. Let me read you the 17, the 17 targets. The 17 goals of these people that's going to put in control, and they already are, if you think this is a joke, write this down. Write this, write this website down. It's new. Y'all have a pen? You ready? Y'all photogenic? Some of y'all? Y'all from voice to, I don't know how that works. U-N. Right, right, U-N. That's for United Nations. Right? Next one is N-W-O. New World Order. Dot org. U-N. N-W-O dot. Not D-O-T. Dot org. Write that down. And I want every one of y'all this week to go on that website. And look at what's going to take place. In 2030. In the man's desire of this world. Now in this document. In this document, there's no mention of God. There's no mention of Christ. There's no mention of the Bible. There's no mention of the family. There's no mention of the parents. Now, if you don't think this is real, this is the time before the tribulation period. But when I'm fixing to read these 17, we're going to go eat, those 17 uh, points, you're going to find 
that when that Antichrist comes on chapter 6, it's going to be good. But the problem with this agenda, 2030, it's not in the book. And they will be sorely disappointed because it's not going to be what they think it's going to be. Now, they're going to move to that 2030, and they're going to do all they can to get there. But God's got other plans, right? But my point trying to show you is where we are in 2022. Ain't it amazing 2030 is 2,000 years exactly when Jesus was crucified on 30 A.D.? What does the Bible say? Years, a thousand years, and thousand years. And we're going into 6,000 years. It's divided into three. 2,000, 2,000, and 2,000. All right, listen to this and we'll go. Their agenda, the 17 goals for people and planet, they call it. No poverty. That's number one. By 2030, there'll be no poverty. Number two. Now, I'm just going to give you these because we can't go in detail. Number, number two, zero hunger. Nobody be hungry. Number three, good health and well-being for all. You know, you can imagine what that means. Number four, quality education for everyone. Number five, gender equality. Number six, clean water and sanitation. Number seven, affordable and clean energy. Number eight, decent work and economic growth. Number nine, industrial innovation and infrastructure. Number 10, reduced inequalities. Number 11, sustainable cities and communities. Number 12, response, responsible consumption and production. 13, climate action. 14, life below water. 15, life on land. 16, peace, justice, and strong institutions. 17, partnerships for the goals. In this document, UN, W, or new, NWO.org, they have presented to the whole world that this is God. And you're going to do it, and you're going to be part of it, whether you like it or you don't. By 2030. We're 2022. Eight years. This was given in 2015. And now it started in 2021. It was it used to be called 21. They changed it to now Agenda 2030. We're not talking, we're talking about the UN. We're not talking about just Several little small countries that has no say about anything. We're talking about 193 nations. They're all signed up. You go back to Bush, the old Bush. He was, he was original, 1993. Signing of it. World order. Right? Harry Kissinger. He was all in it. Bill Clinton, all in it. Junior Bush, all in it. Obama, all in it. Donald Trump, not in it. And why? Because he wasn't part of the crowd. What they do? Got him out. They put in old, old Joe. He's in it. And I'm going to tell you something, dear church. If you think you're sitting on okay, and you think everything's hunky-dory, and you think everything's just going to be a smooth ride, man, get your head out of the sand like an ostrich. Wake up. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a book written, and everything in that book will be done according to as it's written. And we've got the answers. Nothing to fear for us, but you've got to know how to live today. Let's stand our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Man, if you're not saved today, you're going to get swept up into this great power and authority.
This UN says that the government is God and will be trusted to have peace, prosperity on earth. This is a utopia that they're trying to build here on earth. It won't happen, but they're going to try their best to do it. If you're not saved this morning, you're going to be caught up into that. You're already into that. Young people, I feel sorry for them. That power, that power is upon your mind and upon your heart to move towards this UN agenda. Only God can save you. Only Christ can change your heart. Only the Holy Spirit of God can move you from that. I beg you, dear young people, would you consider Christ today? Mom and Daddy, you better get a hold of your home. You better get a hold of what your kids are doing in your home. This is all leading to this agenda and it's all demonic. It's all of hell. It's all about removing God in a godless society. Help our church today not to be ignorant of these things. Would you play, dear sister, if you need to come, you come this morning. You say, I want to be saved from this untoward generation. I want to be saved from this present evil world. But Larry, things look like it's not going to be so hot. It is for a Christian. It is for a child of God. But it may not be for you if you're not saved. Mom and daddies, you better begin to pray. You better get some serious prayer in. You better get some serious and sober seeking God's face for your home, dear daddy. Dear father, dear husband. We're going to be under the gun. Hope you're ready. Hope you're ready, dear mama. What you're about to face. We need God, and we need more of them. Do something tonight. Do something this morning. God, please, please, I beg you, Lord, move on our hearts and our lives. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my Father. Blessed be your name. Hallowed be thy name. Need to come, you come. Will not be long here. Since she gets done playing that course, we're through. Revelation chapter 6. Tribulation begins. Yes, Lord. Thank the hope that we have in Jesus today. Thank you for Jesus, our blessed hope, our Redeemer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. What a wonderful God you are. Yes, amen. Amen. Brother Jake, won't you dismiss us, my brother? so thankful for the message this morning Lord how real it is it's going to be real one day Lord I pray Lord as we think about what's going to happen what your blessed book says Lord help me as a parent help me as a husband a servant of your I have heard of a land on a far away strand in the Bible the story is told where cares never come never darkness nor gloom and nothing shall ever grow old in that beautiful land on that far away strand no storms with their blasts ever frown. The streets I am told are paved with pure gold, and the sun shall never go down. There are evergreen trees that bend low in the breeze. 
and their fruitage is brighter than gold. There are hearts for our hands in the fairest of lands, and nothing shall ever grow old. In that beautiful land on the faraway strand, no storms with their blasts ever frown. The streets I am told are paved with pure gold, and the sun shall never go down. There's a home in that land at the Father's right hand. There are mansions whose joys are untold. And perennial spring where the birds ever sing and nothing can ever grow old. In that beautiful land on that faraway strand, no storms with their blasts ever frown. The streets I am told are paved with pure gold. The sun shall never